Thank you, worship team. Um, I sure appreciate them and, and uh, all the work that's gone in all these months. And um, it's just been uh, an extra load. I, I just uh, am so grateful for uh, all the work that's gone in in, in providing us uh, sound uh, worship through God's word, through song, and uh, we are just so grateful. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open up his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you and uh, I, I need your help. I pray that you would guide me and pray that you would use your word. Um, thank you for the victory over sin that you have accomplished and that you are working out in our lives. I pray that you would uh, be glorified and teach us, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. So, Galatians chapter 6. Actually, as I started looking at this text, these verses seem to kind of be, um, jump all over the place, and uh, they're, they're great, um, but they're almost proverbial. But then I look back, and I, and I wanted to come back to context, and one of the main contexts that we've been looking at through the book of Galatians is that of the genuine gospel, Paul's defense of what the gospel is. And uh, so that I want to continue with that vein, that theme, as we look at the text today. But also... We are talking about, we, we were introduced as John brought the word to us in Galatians 5 that God gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave those who have put their faith and trust in Him. He has given, him, given us Himself to dwell in us. And He is sufficient. So today I'm carrying that, that on with the responsibility of spirit-filled believers. So, but before we get to chapter 6 exactly, I want to go back just two verses because it really helps bring us into the context and, uh, and lead us into, into our text. And it, it, just, it just makes a whole lot more, um, it helps better flow through our text. So, um, I just want to start with uh, an introduction here. And that is, it's, it's too easy to think or start thinking that our righteousness is contingent or maintained by what we must do. And here we are at a text that instructs us, that gives us some to-dos. But I want to make sure that you don't misunderstand this. This is not how you come to God and are received by Him. Okay? So these things, doing these things, do, does not make you a righteous person. No, your righteousness is in Christ alone. And we must remember that. That's been the, the teaching from the whole book. By grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone, to God's glory alone, God has saved us. 
So Paul is in, instructing the Galatian church as in, he's instructing us to understand what is the gospel. This is not man's gospel. Paul emphasized it wasn't his. It didn't originate from him. It didn't originate from the apostles. This is the good news from God. How to be right with Him. This is the good news of God the Father choosing sinners, giving them grace and peace, and justifying them through the Lord Jesus and faith in His substitutionary atonement. This, this gospel is not partial to race. And that's in this book. Can you believe it? In our day and age, and what we've just gone through, are going through as a country, here, in the context of the book of Galatians, there was a racial issue, and it was partiality to the Jews. Those who were Jewish claimed to be more spiritual, closer to God, and they started demanding that believers resign themselves to subject themselves to Jewish rites in order to be saved, in order to be accepted by God. And Paul comes at that head on. Says, no. No, this is the work of God. This gospel is not partial to race nor improved by our efforts. You have a new identity, not based on what you have done, but what Jesus, the pure Son of God, has done. Jesus' righteousness is a appropriated to the one who agrees he is a sinner and needs the Savior, Jesus, to forgive his sins. God gives new life and writes his law on our hearts. He makes us heirs and sons and daughters. He makes us one, unity. But this is not the goal or the end, but this is what God does. It's the result or the effect of the good news. What Jesus Christ has accomplished. God calls us to something that is unfamiliar to us when we hear the name of the Holy Spirit of God used today. But I want to make sure you, you hear what the Holy Spirit is calling us to. He's calling us to repentance. Today the topic of repentance is popular in the cultural context, but it's very unpopular as an individual need before God. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from sin and the desires of the flesh to the righteousness, righteous Savior and His call to holiness. So if you look with me at our text this morning, or this evening, will be this morning, when it's viewed by others, we'll start with verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Paul has, has given that foundation that we are equipped with the Spirit of God in us. And as John taught, there are several um, instances where Paul also said, walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. If you look, look just up in chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 and 18, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So here is this fascinating struggle that Paul is saying, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, but mark it, your flesh opposes the Spirit. And if you do what the Spirit calls you to do, you'll be opposing your flesh. If you do what your flesh wants, you'll be opposing the Spirit and not able to do what you ought to do. So how can we oppose the Spirit? Well, there's some warnings in Scripture. Up in Acts chapter 5, we saw Ananias and Sapphira, where Ananias lied to the Spirit. In Acts 5.3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? People were selling their land giving the proceeds to needy believers in the church. And Ananias and Sapphira came up with a great idea. Oh, we'll sell our land, but we'll keep some of, the, some of it, and we'll give the rest, but we'll say we're giving it all because we want people to look at us and see how great we are. Now, they didn't have to lie. They could have kept part of it. There was nothing wrong with keeping part of the sale. But they lied to God, the Holy Spirit, and to the church. And it was so, such an important thing that God demonstrated His holiness to the church at this time, and Ananias fell over dead. His wife came in, but Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And she fell over dead. Opposed the Spirit by lying to the Spirit, testing the Spirit. In Hebrews 3, 8 and 9, it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness wandering, they tested God. Where your fathers put me to the test, 
and saw my works for 40 years. God was faithful, providing for them food every day, day in, day out. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. God provided for them, and yet they moaned and groaned. They complained. They put God to the test. In, in our text, Galatians 5.17, we just read, we can oppose the Spirit by giving way to our flesh. We can quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. In my mind's eye, I, I, I picture a flame of passion of the Holy Spirit and His desire to make me holy, and I throw a wet blanket over that fire. Say, no, I want to do what I want to do. Do not grieve the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let me continue on reading that text in Hebrews, Ephesians 4, rather. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It will become apparent why I'm, I'm referring to these things because we need to understand that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can oppose Him. We can test Him. We need, to be, we need to take this seriously. The Spirit of God indwells those who have come to God for forgiveness. And He is there to do business with you, to leave your life unchanged. For you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So look at our text, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What an interesting statement after he gives the instruction, walk in the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. But don't become conceited. The word here in the original language is empty of glory. Empty of glory. We have a wrong opinion about ourselves. An illusion of oneself. We want praise and we need praise. <laughs> we need the we, we desire God's word God's saying, well done. We, need, we desire God's approval. We need it. As human beings, we're created for it. Why? To give God glory. But we instead rebel. And we try to fill that need with other things or people. John Stott says, such a fantasy opinion of oneself that I cannot bear a rival. I'm the best. 
This is the problem. Isn't that so interesting? Paul gives us the solution first. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. There's the solution. And then he gives us the problem. But, here's the problem. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This emptiness is the void we need filled more than anything else. The approval of God. His approval is what satisfies most. Our anticipation of well done, the most beautiful reward. But in rebellion, we seek to cram what we want to fill the void. Approval of others, possessions. We even bring destruction to relationship with others. My first pastor, Ellie Maxwell, used to say this, and you'll never forget it. Oh, to live with the saints above. Won't that be glory? But to live below with the saints we know, now that's a different story. And that brings to, to the forefront this problem of this emptiness of glory, this conceit, because that's really what it is. It's arrogance, it's pride. It's rebellion against God. Romans 3.21 reminds us, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned. And what? We know this, everybody knows this, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or payment by His blood to be received in, by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. This is the message that Paul has been giving to the Galatians and to us and even to the Romans. This, let's look at this. What is provoking and envy? Well, nowadays it's a really, it, it always has been a really good idea to when you do your Bible study to have a dictionary close by. Jesse just exhorted us that way, and, and it's still true today, and especially today where words, meanings are, seem to be fluctuating and mean different things. Provoking means to challenge, to contest, provoke someone. A superiority and want to show it. What is envy? Envy is a feeling of discontentment and ill will because of another's advantages, superiority, possessions, etc. Resentful dislike of another who is something one desires. So this is, this is strong, isn't it? It's ugly. 
You see somebody else with something or a talent, and you, you wish you could do that, so you, instead you'll dislike them. You'll, you'll wish them ill. This is our conduct toward others. And uh, it's ugly. And this is what Paul is warning us about. Don't be empty of glory. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. Another word that I had to look up was jealousy in relation to these words. And Pastor just, just shortly, a couple weeks ago did a, did a short video on the attributes of God and he talked about the jealousy of God. So I wanted to write a definition here too. An ardent devotion. Ardent devotion. Now, now currently, um, jealousy has begun to take on more of an envious look to it in our definitions and our thinking. But the original meaning of the word is an ardent devotion. It's your possession and you are watchful and careful in guarding it. So in, when ta we're talking about the jealousy of God, He is jealous for His glory. Does that make sense? It is His glory, not ours, to be robbed from Him. He protects, He watches over His glory. And that's a pure, righteous thing. It is not evil at all. Now we as sinners, we can take just about anything good and make it evil. So jealousy can become a, an evil thing in, in us. But when, it's, when the Scriptures talk about the jealousy of God and His jealous name, it's talking about a righteousness that God is protecting His holiness, His glory, and it's beautiful because it belongs to no other. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Now, some of you may be wondering, Dan, why have you waited so long to bring this text to us? You were teaching through Sunday school and Galatians, and here we are months later. And I have to tell you, God was, had to do a work in my heart. <laughs> And some of you I've asked to pray for me because I knew I was going through a real spiritual battle and I needed God's deliverance. And I, I won't bore you or, or explain all the gory details, but I do want to give God the glory because He did rescue me. He did deliver me. And I wish I would do that more and I want to, I want to purpose to describe His deliverance and His his great deliverance um, for me when I fall into sin. Galatians 5.15, just again up in the previous chapter, just before Paul talking about the Spirit, he said, but if you bite and devour one another in verse 15 of chapter 5, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See how ugly this gets? 
we covet one another, we envy one another, we provoke one another, we want to start a fight to prove I'm right. We want to, want to say, no, I, I, I don't like you because you can sing better than me or you can play better than me or you can speak better than me or you can teach better than me or you can move chairs better than me. Right? All simple, simple things that we get angry with each other at because I can't do that. <laughs> and I wish I could. Isn't that silly? But that is what can happen when we aren't walking by the Spirit, when we aren't living by the Spirit. James chapter 4, he reminds us what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Well, see, we often think it's a problem out here. You know, between you and me. No, it's a problem in here. And that's what the Lord had to show me and as, he, as He brought me to deliverance from, from the sin that I was entrapped in. No, the, the battle, I thought the battle was all with me, with everybody else. No, the battle, the, the, the problem was within me. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What a marvelous piece of Scripture, isn't it? Because that is our problem, basically. Our problem is in our heart, and it's a, a heart of pride, a conceit, where we're trying to fill what God can fill with anything but God. With anyone but God. Whether it's from the viewpoint of I've been wronged and I need justice. I'm a victim. I beg you to examine your heart and search your heart to see if you are giving way to the flesh or are you living by the Spirit. Now we'll come back to our text in Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read the first five verses here. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You know, folks, if it isn't obvious, (laughs) we need each other. God didn't just send us off to an island to be a Christian by ourselves. (laughs) He didn't rapture us into glory just the moment we were saved. No, He put us with one another. We need each other. And this well-familiar verse, you you know it well, but Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That needs to be our purpose, our job. We need to care for one another to stir one another up to good works, to love, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God calls us and He has provided our fellowship to help us to grow. And so we have this responsibility to others. This responsibility to others. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, what does it mean, you who are spiritual? Who are those? Just the pastor and the elders? No. Those who are spirit-filled. All believers. All believers are called to this. Not to be conceited. Not to be, have envy. Not to provoke one another. But to restore one another. You who are spiritual should restore Him in a spirit of gentleness. We need one another to help one another. We, you know, for a long, long time, I didn't see my own sin, the sin that I was in, the trap that my heart had taken me. Hostage, so to speak. I'm so grateful. My wife would faithfully, gently even, remind me of where I was going with my thoughts. And my my repetition of how I had been wronged. (laughs) I had to convince myself. It was, you know, I had to hear it and tell others and you know replay the record and she was getting tired of it and it was i'm grateful she was tired of it because it helped wake me up to that what i was doing where i was going we who are fellow believers need to be on the watch for one another that we don't stumble in sin that comes that takes relationship doesn't it we have to get to know one another to know if we're 
headed down the wrong path. And so we're called to relationship. We're called to be working together, coming together to be a community, to call each other to love and good works. My daughters have a a hand-painted sign in their house, and it means a lot to me every time I go over there and, and see it. But it says, love embraced becomes love extended. Have you received the love of Jesus? I have. I have. I've been forgiven. Me, a sinner. So now I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to love others because I've been loved. Because I've been forgiven, I have a responsibility to forgive others. It's a high calling, isn't it? And we can only do it by the Spirit's power. Love is not a feeling, but an action. And for us, it is rooted in first the primary love for God. Because He loved us while we were still enemies of Him. This truth, then, is the filter by which we are called to love others. You see, we can't get the order mixed up. If we have as our ultimate goal to love others, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss the goal. We, We could love on someone and not tell them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they could go to hell. You see, we must keep the priority right. Loving God, and through that lens, we love others. What's our purpose? To restore them. To restore one another. That's got to be our goal. We just can't, we we aren't just called to go and love others. But in the lens of restoring them to God as God brought us into fellowship with Him. Secondly, we keep a watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Yeah. Real easy here, isn't it, to go, oh man, sure glad I helped Joe see see the light. (laughs) Right? Puff, puff. Yeah, we can fall so quickly if we aren't on guard. And we're called to humility. We need to be on guard lest we too be tempted. Then the instruction is bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's a picture of someone burdened down with a heavy load. And we observe that. And it it could be in so many different things, couldn't it? It might not be sin. It might be just a weight, a a responsibility that someone has that they they don't know how they're going to fulfill. Or a bondage, 
that they are in, that they don't see a way out. But we're called to bear one another's burdens. We know that if two people are lifting the same load, it's much easier, it's much more manageable. Is it not? The same is true with spiritual things, with, with emotional things. With We need one another. Don't ever think that a problem that another person is involved in is beyond your help as a spirit-controlled believer. You have the Word of God, and it is sufficient. The Gospel provides the answer to all problems in which we find ourselves as humans in a fallen world and our responses to them. We are called to help right a person with God. How can we do this? What if the problem is above our pay grade? Ooh, that's... Did I say that? Isn't that awful thing to say? It's above my pay grade, so... You get, you're just on your own, buddy. Oh, no. Well, what about... Oh, I, I just don't know what to do with that. Uh, 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 see no evil, you know. No. We don't have to be, uh, have a thorough knowledge of the depths of the sin and its destructive course. It is enough to know that sin damns one's soul. It could be as simple as a call every day, a phone call. We all have phones. We carry them around everywhere, right? Nowadays, we don't, they're, not, they're not just sitting in our house anymore. <laughs> they're on our person. We could call someone every day to ask if that person has said no to the flesh and encourage them. Right? A text. Boom, boom, boom. How are you? Are you vi- do you have victory in Jesus? Think how encouraging that could be to someone who's struggling. Wouldn't, wouldn't that make a difference for you? I tell you, when I was struggling, a guy in this room did that to me, and it made a difference. If the person has failed... And he says, I don't have victory in Jesus to be truthful with you. And I hope, hope he has a relationship with you where he would be truthful. Then what do you do? Just throw up your hands, walk away? Oops. No. Start over. Call him to for repentance. Help him to see his forgiveness in Christ. And start anew. Right? Just as we walk. So we are called to bear one another's burdens and a simple text could enable you to do that for someone today or this week or for weeks and weeks and months, years to help a person have victory over drinking, over drugs, over sin in their life. 
Sometimes we fear, oh, I don't want to get bogged down in that. And we're right back to that empty glory, aren't we? That conceit. That pride. Oh, I'm better than that. Oh, Lord, help us to see how much we have been forgiven. How great a love by which God has loved us. Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You see, people's souls are on the line. If a person continues to sin and continues to walk away from God, he was never, he had never been forgiven. But every moment you know him, you could be directing him to forgiveness, to come to Christ, to save, to have salvation of his soul. Humility is necessary. J.C. Ryle says, What will it cost a man to be a true Christian? it will cost him his self-righteousness. He must cast away all pride and high thoughts and conceit of his own goodness. He must be content to go to heaven as a poor sinner, saved only by free grace and owing all to the merit and righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. Do we really remember that's who we are? We're that needy? We're that people? There is no righteousness in me, but the righteousness of Jesus that He has given me. That's it. That's all. That's all I have. So, Lord, help us to bear and carry and assist and extend mercy to those who we see burdened. For we are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. The law of Christ given to us in Galatians chapter 5. The law of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. (laughs) We just covered that, didn't we? We're tricked. We're fooled if we think we're okay, if we think we're righteous because of what we have done or what we are doing. We're tricked. We are nothing 
except we, God gave us grace. God gave us grace. Let each one test his own work, for each will have to bear his own load. What is this talking about? It's easy to get this confused. Because it just said, bear one another's burdens. But we have a personal responsibility before God. There will be an account before all holy God who will give wrath and reward. We are responsible. That's what this verse is teaching us. And that's where I got my title for tonight. Responsibility of Spirit-filled believers. We are responsible because of the love we have received. Because of the forgiveness that we, we have received from God. We are responsible. We need to look at what we are doing. We need to examine ourselves. Are we loving others? Have we, are we forgiving others? Are we quick to forgive? Martin Luther said, Either sin is lying on your shoulders, or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. And if it's resting on Christ, you are free. You are free. You see, this shows, this, this call is one for repentance. Not just at the moment of salvation, but a continual moment by moment repentance or turning from sin and the flesh. John Calvin said, True repentance is firm and constant and makes war with the evil that is in us, not for a day or a week, but without end and without remission. So as a believer, a spirit-filled believer, we are called to repent of that tendency of the flesh to be conceited, to be prideful. And we are to give of ourselves to others. Now, in regards to repentance, I just wanted to share this verse because... It, in our culture today, there's so much misunderstanding and misuse of the word. But this passage in Ezekiel at 18 is pretty clear, and it tells us God's perspective on repentance. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteous of the righteous Righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed, and keeps all my statutes, and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall re be remembered against him for the righteousness that he has done. He shall live. Isn't that good news? 
Isn't that good news? I am not going to have to pay for my father's sin because that would be a load that I could not bear. God is just. God is just. I am responsible for my sin. And I come and lay my sin at the cross. And Jesus took my sin. And I received His righteousness. But now I must live as a righteous man. I must walk according to the Spirit. I must live in the Spirit. I must oppose the flesh. Because that is now who I am. Our identity. Back to our text here in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We have a responsibility to others. We have a responsibility to teachers. Share all good things with the one who teaches. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. God calls us to care for those who teach us. It's a responsibility that is heavy. Many times there's um, tremendous uh, discomfort <laughs> in teaching, in, in someone sharing their sin, their burden, and taking them to the Word of God and helping them and trying to lead them towards uh, repentance and, and the life that God has for them the fullness that God has for them. And we are to, to recognize that here in the context, this is one of fellowship. We need to have fellowship with the one who teaches and here. He, he needs to be encouraged. When, when we receive God's Word and God brings correction into our life, we can be such an encouragement to our teacher, our pastor, when we share with him what God has done. Rather than him ha hearing all the gross stuff all the time, right? All the muck that we, we, we come and say, Pastor, I just, I'm in this really deep hole right now and I don't know what to do. I did that. Even, even, in this situation where, where I was, I've been, I've been uh, referring to in, in my, my text, I went to pastor and I said, pastor, should I do this? This is what I'm about to do. <laughs> and he gave me some wise counsel. He, th he threw a wet blanket on me. <laughs> At least that's how, 
how I felt. And, and many times that's, you know, a, a reaction to a pastor who gives, who is just being faithful and giving the Word of God. Often that is, comes, comes back as, what, what are you saying to me? Who do you think I am? Right? It, it often is, a, is, is retaliated with that provoking, isn't it? Because we're unwilling to immediately submit to the Word, to submit to the fact that I'm wrong. Some of you who are wives in the room know the difficulty of sometimes seeking to bring loving correction and that being received not so sweetly sometimes by us husbands. So remember our pastor and the encouragement that we could be to him in fellowship, in sharing the victory that God has brought, the, the, the teaching that he has been faithful in giving and, and the growth that we are experiencing. He, that involves in, involvement and sharing in all good things. Look at the, what the text says. That involves caring for him financially as he has dedicated himself to preaching the word and giving his life to us to help us to grow. There's, there's no greater joy than seeing the result of gospel change in one's life. Hebrews 13, 17 says, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Think how hard it would be to be a pastor where, oh, just, oh no, not the phone again, right? But uh, to encourage him, to help him in his walk, because it's important. His walk is so important to us, isn't it? Just as our walk with God is so important to Him. Let's not just become sponges where we think, oh, this is, it's His job. You know, He gets paid to be up there and He gets paid to, to watch over me and keep me out of trouble and bail me out. <laughs> no, we need to be co-workers co-laborers is what we are called to here also look at this verse for the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life the law of reaping and sowing you will not harvest what you have not planted you will not harvest what you have not planted that's a law it's a law God created when He made plants. And He made them with seeds. And He made them with fruit that had the seeds in them. And that seed will grow that same plant, that same tree. Well, so it is in our lives. What we sow, we will reap. We can't reap what we haven't sown. And remember... As John taught us last time, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to 
Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So we continue to work to oppose the flesh, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This gospel change that God is working in us. We're concluding with this point. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, sometimes things go bad in this world. This world is tough. This world is hard. Think of those who have gone out and tried to plan a church. And every day, they open up the doors. They're paying the bills. They, get, they prepared hard all week to present a message. And no one's there. But they keep at it. They keep at it in faith and trust. And so easy to grow weary. So weary to say, I, I don't see you working, God. I don't see anything happening. So it can be in our own life. We can become discouraged and go, God, I'm still struggling with this. I should have victory by now. If we do not give up, if we do not give up, we're called to continue the fight, continue to war against our flesh, against our desires. That's hard as we get older and older and we think, I should have this by now. I should have this nailed by now. I know better. And yet God keeps us fighting so that we are continually dependent on Him. So we are reminded again and again, we have no reason to boast. All that God has done in me is by His grace. It's not what I have accomplished. So it will be when we enter His presence and we see Him face to face and He transforms us and we become like Him in that instant, and we fall on our faces and give all glory to Him. That's where it belongs. And this final instruction, this final fruit, this final responsibility, this call, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why? Because we have received so much. We have been loved with such a great love. We have been forgiven of so much. So our response this evening, I just asked this question, what does the Holy Spirit accomplish when we do these things? When we fulfill these responsibilities of the Spirit, 
What is he accomplishing? What is he doing? Well, he's making us like Christ, isn't he? He is causing our lives to be consistent with the gospel. But this is individually. What is he doing corporately? He is bringing unity. He is bringing unity. And in Ephesians chapter 4, that's what he says he will do. It's a result of the gospel. That he will make us one. It is the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. Lord, make them one as you and I are one. So, let us show love and mercy as we have received love and mercy to one another, giving all glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are so abundant in Your love, in Your grace. Your grace that sent Your only Son to live a perfect life, to pay, to take Your wrath upon Himself, the wrath that I deserved for my sin. And You have given me forgiveness. Lord, help me moment by moment. Help us moment by moment to never forget these truths, these facts. We are righteous because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are His. And Lord, may our identity resonate in everything, in every corner of our mind and our heart of who we are, that we, are, we belong to You. That we are under Your control, Your Holy Spirit's control. And may we not oppose Him. May we not sin against Him. But may we submit to Him. That May we live and be led by Him. May we walk in Him. That He may bring this glorious, these glorious things that we've learned tonight to pass. That we love one another. That we seek to bear one another. That we seek to, to help one another back into relationship with You. That we restore one another. For Your glory. In Your precious name, Amen.